0: Okay. Good morning. It's good seeing you all. Great being with you, and uh, yeah, just so Cheryl and I have just uh, loved being meeting with you. This is our fourth Sunday in a row. Okay, so we we are kind of signing up for membership and you know looking forward. But it's been real fun to just engage with you, to be uh, part of you for these weeks, and just sensing what God's doing. Amongst you and just sensing as well, it does feel like a new season, and I think in many ways, in just in conversations with leaders, in all, all sorts of places over recent months, we keep hearing that again and again that it's like a, a new season for the church. And really, there is no better book to be looking at than the Book of Acts uh, as we kind of step into this time together. So we're going to do Acts. Where are you? Is it Acts number 3? Acts number 4? Acts? Either one. Either one. It could be Acts 3, Acts 4, but we're going to be speaking from Acts chapter 2. Okay. So if you're a visitor, I've just completely confused you. Okay. So if you could turn to Acts chapter 2. Um, I was just saying to Cheryl this morning, earlier, it feels really weird. I'm going to be speaking to real people i 've spent almost two years speaking to, into a screen and uh, and so you will excuse me if I kind of you know have to press a button or lean forward or whatever but you know. so it 's great to be with real people that 's church Acts chapter two and we 're going to pick up from uh, verse fourteen just in a moment or so, but this chapter it, it must be one of the most visited chapters in the Bible uh, by churches across the world, and actually, throughout the ages, it's almost like the factory reset for church, or or more accurately, heavens reset for church, because it's here we read about the birth of the early church, and we all know it wasn't the perfect church, but somehow we know it was very fresh in terms of what God designed it to be. And in this time of reset, in this time of regathering, in this time where God's challenging us about what are the priorities he's calling us to as church, that's where this chapter and the book of Acts has such an important role to play for us. And it starts, Acts chapter 2, it starts with this, mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. get Al last week was helping us look at that, and it's a remarkable time when God pours out his Spirit with these amazing manifestations of God is with these disciples. God's with his people. And then when you read on through the chapter, and I think Josh will be looking at this next week, you find a church. You've got this, this a demonstration of the first church being birthed so you've got the outpouring and you've got the church and between which is the bit I'm going to focus on you've got to preach and it's important we understand that all these things are important And as churches, you can so easily just focus on one or the other. We need to see all of this. So let's read this preach, and genuinely, this is the best bit of what I'm going to share. Okay? (laughs) True. I'm not being kind of English polite, where this is the best bit. So let's really, as Nina encouraged us, let's really listen. Verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, this outpouring that they had just experienced. Listen carefully to what I say. Take your earphones out. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Take note, Joshua. (laughs) Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Take your headphones out. Jesus of Nazareth David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, Sisters, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay, God has raised this Jesus to life. <laughs> I told you this was the best bit. Okay. And we're witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God. He's received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out on him what you now see and hear. For David didn't ascend to heaven. And yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent. Be baptised, every one of you, for the forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptised. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. What a day. Okay. So, Peter starts his preach by referring to the prophecy from Joel. Joel Joel, Joel works for us at the church back home. Okay. Joel's prophecy, okay? Joel's prophecy. He refers to it. But just notice first how he preaches. I, I did my best to kind of get into the preach. He preaches with a boldness. He preaches with an authority. This is not the same Peter who some weeks before had said to a servant girl in the courtyard, I don't know this Jesus now been transformed by the power of the Spirit. He, he preaches and he says, listen, listen. These early disciples had experienced the power of the Spirit. Now they were hearing a message that was going to explain it and actually was going to equip them for what God was calling them to. In other words, It was spirit and word together. And that's critical for us as churches. Sadly, since then, churches throughout history have tended to emphasize one at the expense of the other. We need more of the spirit, more of the spirit, and don't worry about theology. You know, that'll take care of itself. And others, no, we need theology, theology. Don't worry about the spirit. That belonged in. We need both. And this is a classic chapter saying both happening at full volume to full effect, word and spirit. And in terms of that, Peter picks up this prophecy which speaks about the last days, So what I've put uh, as a slide, these days. Peter basically says this, What you see happening in front of you has already been spoken about. It's the outworking of something God had promised. And this now is a history-making moment. The page has been turned. A new era has begun. That which God's people had longed for for centuries and hoped for and prayed for, and somehow it was always on the horizon of their thinking, it had arrived. They knew about the Holy Spirit. They knew written into their kind of family history as a nation. They knew about the great stories when God's Spirit came upon certain people in special times for special occasions and there were amazing breakthroughs of God but somehow they were like the heroes of the faith but behind that there was this promise one day one day god's spirit will be poured out on all all ages all backgrounds all nations Man, woman, young, old. They live for that day. And Peter's saying, today's the day. And we're still in these days. These last days. He also speaks about a great global upheaval and shaking. It talks about the sun turned. What is it? The sun Will be turned to darkness. There already that already happened, as Jesus was crucified. Days when things, even the very earth itself, will be shaken. We live in these days, these last days. Don't get uptight about you know what's going to happen next, and what date is going to you know what date is kind of that going to happen or that world event. No, no, no. This is what we need to know. We live in these days. We live in days of great shaking. We're, we've been living through that, with a global pandemic. There'll be other things. It won't all end and we'll live happily ever after. There's going to be more shakings. But what does God provide for his people in that? His spirit. And then it's almost like Peter's beginning to pull back the bow because he's got something in mind. He's aiming at something. this preach, he's aiming. It's not just a collection of truths. He's aiming and he begins to pull back the bow with this sentence that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. These days, they're our days. We live in them. And then the heart of the preach is this. It's about this Jesus. This Jesus. This is really what Peter just spends, he pours himself out on. And he's already referred to the prophets uh, about the outpouring of the Spirit. But now he refers to the Psalms. And of course, so many of the Psalms were written by King David. And in those Psalms, there's promises of, of, a, of another king yet to come, that this throne will go on forever and ever. And one of these descendants will sit on the throne. And as, as Peter begins to get to that point, he first of all talks about Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the man. His preach ends with Jesus, Lord of Heaven. But it starts, Jesus of Nazareth. He became a man. Just the wonder of the incarnation. He took flesh. God himself became man. He lived among us. He was seen. He was known. People listening to this would have seen Jesus in the flesh. Heard the sound of his voice. Seen him heal the sick. But the point Peter's making here is isn't all of this, he was accredited by God. God was saying, this is the one. This is my son. Listen to him. This Jesus, the man, he can still work today. He still heals the sick. He still brings hope to the hopeless. He's still everything in that worship, about in our weakness, we can go to him. It's the same Jesus. Jesus crucified. He lived, but then was put to death. Cruelest, most awful death imaginable. Death on the cross. Jesus, the man, died. There's so much we could to speak about the crucifixion but the one point here just to underline is this it was wicked people put him on the cross religious powers and worldly powers combined the world and religion put Jesus on the cross and he died but God had planned it he had purposed it he was over it all And one of the best explanations of that actually we can find in Peter's epistle uh, later on in the New Testament. When Peter says this, that we've been redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to us from our forefathers with the precious blood of Christ, who is a lamb without blemish or defect. In other words, he was the lamb chosen to die a death that we in our wickedness can be made whole. We can be made righteous. It's the cross. Peter had so been so hidden away from the whole scenes of the cross when it actually happened. Now Peter is proclaiming the cross. Jesus died Because of wickedness. He actually died. Because of our wickedness. He died. For us. Our sin. Our guilt. Jesus crucified. And then. We go on to that amazing thing. Jesus raised. The resurrection. And. This has got to be one of the. One of the top descriptions, this verse sums up so much of the power of the resurrection. It says this, but God, in verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What a powerful verse. And the actual word, the, the pains of death, it's almost like, it, 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 it's a similar word that would have been used for pains of childbirth. And it's like when a mother gets to that point of, you know, the pains have just started. This isn't medically technical, okay, Eric, just to make sure. okay. But when the pains are, are happening and increasing, 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 there's an inevitability a child will be born. You know, the mother doesn't say, oh, actually, no, I'll tell you what, we'll go away for a couple of weeks and have a holiday. There's an inevitability. A child's going to be born. And it's that same image here. It was impossible for death to to keep his hold on Jesus. That he was released. Victorious over death. Triumphant over Satan. Satan had done his worst. Now Jesus, alive, forever, triumphed. The resurrection changes everything. Without the resurrection, even the cross, it is not a fin- it, in one sense it was finished, in another sense it wasn't. Because you know the Bible says that God raises Jesus to life for our justification. It was God's great amen. The sacrifice is complete. He is the lamb who was slain since before the foundation of the earth to take away the sins of the world. It's amazing, the resurrection. And, and the early church, in terms of reset, one of the big resets is let's live with the reality and knowing the importance of the resurrection. The early church, you know, page after page, it's referred to. Every day was a resurrection morning. We need to know that, don't we? In our weakness, in our struggles, we need to know we've got a God who's overcome, actually overcome death. It's impossible for the grave to hold him. He now lives forever. He reigns. It's such the resurrection, it's such a a pastoral, reference point for Paul as he writes his letters, he says, look, don't you know this, the same spirit who raised Jesus to life, he's at work in your mortal body we're a resurrection people Jesus this Jesus the man this Jesus crucified this Jesus raised, but then he builds to this climax, this Jesus exalted and this is where he unpacks all these psalms, you know, the kind of the suitcase of psalms. He's pointing out these scriptures of, there will be one, a descendant of David, who will sit on the throne. Where is Jesus now? Where is he now? He's on the throne. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. Exalted. We must have this view of Jesus. One of our dangers, uh, I believe as Christians, is we have a too small a view of Jesus, or a domestic view of Jesus, or Jesus is just like my therapist, he helps me through life with my problems, or he's like my spiritual life coach, he helps me build spiritual muscle in the spiritual gym, or Jesus is like my personal guide. Now, in some ways, he, he kind of helps us in all of our weaknesses. I've already said that. But listen, don't stop there in our view of Jesus. He's exalted. He's king. He reigns. He rules. He has all authority. Link that in to that Joel prophecy where all things have been shaken. And know this, Jesus Reigns. He's Lord. He's King. And that truth, which Peter builds to in his truth, in his his preach, it's to be, it shakes them to the core. Their response is, what do we do? They're cut to the heart. Because Peter has declared that this Jesus is both Saviour but his Lord, his King. And they're cut to the heart by actually their guilt in seeing Jesus crucified, but also the reality. He reigns. He reigns. And it's at that point where Peter's taking aim, taking aim, and remember that line from that prophecy, which says that everyone calls on the name of the Lord will be saved I think this is the point where he releases the arrow phum, and hits the bull, bullseye. This Jesus, whom you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. Phum, it hits the bullseye. It hits the target. And what's the target? It's our hearts. And we've got to be convinced of this. We've got to know this. It's foundational to us as individuals. Jesus saves, but he's Lord. It's actually foundational to us as churches. Too often we can think of church as being kind of built around our preferences and what fits me, my comfort, No, church belongs to someone and he's the Lord and he's the head of the church. That's why this preach is foundational because it shapes our view of Jesus and our view of Jesus shapes our view of church. This isn't just Peter doing the preachy bit. It lays a foundation. So what's the response? Just finish. But they cut to the heart. Peter hits that bullseye of the heart with the gospel. Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, his exhortation. And as they say, "Cry! what do we do? Peter knows it's, he, he's already primed for this one. Jesus has primed the disciples and Read about in Matthew 28. He says, Repent. You see, the cross exposes the wickedness of our selfish ways. And actually, Peter says, Repent. We can live differently. Why? Because he's been raised to life. And that's foundational. To us, it's foundational to church. You know, church is on the journey together of learning to follow Jesus as Lord, as family. That's why it's so unique. It's not just another organization. It's not just an organization of a bunch of religious folks who think more or less the same thing. No, we're the family of God following King Jesus together. Repent. Be baptized. What does baptism do? It demonstrates the reality of the cross and the resurrection. That's why what Peter tells him to do is so reflects what he's already preached. He's saying, this Jesus, he died for your sin. He's been raised to life. Now we can be identified with him. We're buried with him through baptism. So we can now say no to sin, and we can say yes to a different way of living. Baptism declares that. If you've not been baptised in water, you're missing a foundation here. And Paul's pulling a foundation into the early church. Actually, what is church life to look like, again, where it's being under the king, the lordship of Christ, but actually is living out this death and resurrection life. We get to learn to die in church. (laughs) We get to learn to die to self. We get to learn to die to our own personal preferences. Oh, I don't like it that way. We get to learn to live together in resurrection life. This is a mighty reset. Be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same promise they knew we can know the promises for you, your children, and all who are far off. That's us. We can know our own Pentecost. This is our response. Can I say it's simple? It changed. Jerusalem is the beginning of change in the world. And as Peter releases his arrow. It hits the heart. Somehow there's a follow through here of actually what gospel living, what church shaped by Jesus really looks like. So let's see Jesus as he really is. Let's know the impact of the gospel in our lives. Let's build on these foundations together as church. But let's long to see salvation impact through us. Okay? Let's long to see salvation impact through us. Remember, I think Peter was lining up the bow, and then he releases it. And he does that to give us... The same message, the same privilege of in our day, in these days, we can line up the boat and we can begin to release and fire this good news of Jesus into the hearts of others. That's church. That's what God wants for us.